Well, if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We'll look at the first 10 verses, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Um, if you look on the back of the bulletin, there's a spot there for sermon notes and there's a bare bones outline. So just two points, if that's helpful for you to keep an eye on as we move along, write anything down. It's there on the back. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. So hear the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the, Lord, uh, to the poor Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Um, well, if we would put ourselves in the shoes of folks that would hear this story initially, folks in this culture, we should understand it. We'll see it as we move throughout the passage. But the details of this story, almost every one of them would have been really, really unexpected. So almost all of these things are really unusual. So this powerful, wealthy guy, he's not going to run. We're going to talk about why that was in this culture. He's not going to run ahead of this crowd. He's not going to climb a tree. He's not going to welcome Jesus into his home. What use would this guy have, at least the way he's thinking? What use would he have with Jesus? If he did welcome him into his home, he's not going to do it joyfully. He's probably going to do it uncomfortably because Jesus is this good, virtuous, righteous teacher. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. So everybody knew that he was sort of a cheat. We're going to talk about that. So that's odd that he welcomes him in joyfully. He's not going to offer to part ways with his money and his possessions, certainly not for Jesus' sake. But see, all those things shouldn't have happened, but all those things happened. And so the question is, why? Why did Zacchaeus respond in these ways? Well, it's all because of the final sentence in our passage. Look there. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So what Zacchaeus comes to understand is Jesus is his only hope. Jesus is his only hope for salvation. And, and that's why we should do these same things. We should respond the same sort of uh, ways to Jesus that Zacchaeus does. And this is the way that we'll look at this passage this morning. You can see again those two points listed. First, we're going to see we should pursue Jesus quickly. Pursue Jesus quickly. And then second... Welcome Jesus joyfully. The two main things that we're going to see here. Well, look at how Luke sets up the story for us. Verse one again. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So remember, this is the final trip Jesus is making. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed and arrested and crucified. He's going to give his life for sinners to pay for our sins. And so he's, he's headed to that destiny. But here he's passing through this town, Jericho. Verse 2, we're given some more details about this story. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. 
So apart from Jesus, this is the main character in the story, Zacchaeus. We're told three things about him, his name, which lets us know that he was an Israelite. Zacchaeus was a Jewish name. But then we're also told he was a tax collector and he was rich. And those two things are actually connected. So you might remember this, but in, in this part of the world, so the Roman Empire was in charge of everything in this part of the world. But they would delegate local folks to be tax collectors. But the way it worked was they would give a certain amount. They would take money from folks. They would give it to the Roman Empire. But then it was understood by the Romans. They were fine with it. And everybody else knew. Then the tax collector would take extra. He would take some off the top to make himself rich. That's what they all did. But the people had to had to do it because there was the Roman Empire standing behind these tax collectors. So folks had to give this money, but all these tax, uh, tax collectors were, were basically crooked. And we know Zacchaeus, he's not an exception to the rule because at the end of our story, when he repents, he makes it clear there's a lot of people that he's going to have to pay back. So he, he was a crooked guy. He was dishonest. That's how he had become rich. And so we, we recently saw another rich man's interaction with Jesus. And I'm confident that Luke intends for us to think about that story to make that connection here. You guys remember that? That was back in chapter 18, verses 18 through 23, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, says that he wants to follow him, but then Jesus helps that guy to see, you don't really wanna follow me. Cause he asks him that question about his money. And then in that moment, that rich young ruler gets to make the decision, who do I love more, Jesus or my money? And he decides he loves his money more. And so he turns away from the Lord. This is what we're told in chapter 18, verse 23. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. So he decided he didn't really want to follow Jesus. So as a reader of the gospel stories, I think Luke intends for us to connect this story to that one as we start reading it and to wonder, is this going to be another example of a rich guy who decides that he loves his money more than he loves Christ? Well, look at what happens again. Verse two, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. Okay, so this is one point where Zacchaeus has a decision to make. So, so pursuing Jesus for him, he wants to see Jesus. But at this point in the story, pursuing Jesus is going to cost him something because he can't see Jesus. He's, he's short. There's this big crowd. He'd like to see Jesus, but it's, it's going to cost him something. He's going to have to do something to get to see Jesus. So again, is he going to be like the rich young ruler was and say... I'm not up for that. I'm going to turn around and, and be done with Christ. I'm not going to go to this extra effort. Or is he going to do what he needs to do to see Christ? Well, verse three, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus chooses to pursue Jesus. And this is the first point that is, as Christians, we should draw from this passage. Pursue Jesus quickly. Pursue Jesus quickly. That's what Zacchaeus does. And it's a costly choice. You might not know this. You, you might know this. But in the ancient Near East, where this story takes place, it was particularly undignified for an adult man to run. Which means that I and my lifestyle are very well suited for the ancient Near East because I am not a runner. It was a pastor in London. In the second half of the 20th century, his name was Martin Lloyd-Jones, really, really faithful preacher. He had been a medical doctor before he became a preacher, and he has this quote. I love it. He says, never run if you can walk and never walk if you can sit down. 
And I just think I'm going to hang on to that. Martin Lloyd-Jones knew the Lord. He had been a medical doctor. Even if it was in the, the 30s and 40s, I'll take it. I think it's great advice. But see, here we, we've got this powerful, rich adult man, and he is running to see Jesus. And he's not just running. He's doing something that even adult men in our culture would not do, which is to climb a tree. So you, you can think about if you, let's say that you were watching a parade or you were with some coworkers and there was something you wanted to see and you climbed a tree, they would think that you, that you were crazy. That's something that even today nobody does. But see, that's, that's what Zacchaeus is willing to do. So he's, he's willing to look silly. He's willing to look foolish to the world in order to pursue Christ. And see, that's the kind of person Jesus will always stop for. Jesus will always stop for that kind of person. Look at verse five. That's what he does. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. The person who realizes they need Jesus so much that they'll pursue him even when they look silly in the world's eyes, that's the person Christ will always stop for. And so the, the question for us is, is that you? You know, put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. Would you do this kind of thing? Is that you? Are you willing to look foolish in the world's eyes in order to pursue Jesus? Now, we don't want to get this wrong. We never want to try and look foolish. There have been some Christian traditions that at times are almost trying to look foolish. We're not supposed to do that. So let me just give you one passage to remind us that. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23, you might remember this. He's telling the Corinthians don't speak in uninterpreted languages in your gatherings because if somebody comes in they'll think you look crazy and the holy spirit doesn't want you to look crazy at least not needlessly crazy to the world but but see here's the thing we see in this story if if fidelity to god's word looks foolish in the world's eyes then so be it right so be it so again how about you so, for example, we can think of some particularities. You could think of several more examples. But, but are you willing to, to look close-minded to your neighbors? Because you think Jesus is really the only way to get to God. That other religions can't do it. You have to come through Christ and through Christ alone. Your neighbors, a lot of them are going to think, man, close-minded. You know, they're going to think you look foolish for that. Or are you willing to do that? Are you willing to look backwards and ignorant to your coworkers because you believe the Bible is actually God's word and it doesn't have any errors in it? It's perfect because it's God's word. Are you okay for, for classmates and teachers to think you're hateful maybe because you think that God created boys to be boys and girls to be girls? You know, there's a whole list of things that the world will think we look so foolish for believing these things, but that's okay. We're the same as Zacchaeus. As, as we run after Jesus, that running will oftentimes look weird and backward to the world. But let's pray that we just want to care about that, but that we would just pursue Jesus as hard as we can. So, so Jesus stops for Zacchaeus, verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today is, it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Look at how Zacchaeus responds, verse 6. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. So you can see the urgency with which Zacchaeus is, is pursuing Christ so far in this story. But, but it gets even more clear than this, the way he pursues Jesus. When Jesus decides to go to his house, 
look at what the assembled crowd thinks about that. Look at what their judgment is. Verse seven, all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. So see this crowd, they don't think Jesus knows what he's doing. So they think this guy's supposed to be a religious teacher. He, he doesn't know what kind of a guy Zacchaeus is because a religious teacher isn't supposed to go into the house of somebody who is so publicly sinful. This tax collector who we all know has cheated people for his entire work life. And yet this guy, Jesus is going into his home. This is exactly the kind of guy Jesus should avoid was sort of the conventional wisdom. That's what all of these religious folks think. They, they don't think Jesus knows what he's doing. But see, that's because they're, they're thinking in terms of man-made religions. And every single man-made religion works this way. It's actually a good test. So you can, you can look at a religion and you can say, okay, is this true or is this false? And you can think about it in this way. Every man-made religion, the idea is you work hard and then you achieve a status in God's eyes. So that's the order. You work hard, you try to be good, you try to be virtuous. And if you're good, virtuous enough, then maybe you'll achieve a good standing in God's eyes. But see, the gospel flips that on its head. The gospel says, no, you can never achieve a good standing in God's eyes. We're sinful. We can't do that. So what has to happen is that good standing has to be given to us at the front end. And that's exactly what Christ does. That's why Christ came to pay for our sins, to give us that good standing in God's eyes that we gain through trust alone in Christ alone, not through our efforts, through trust in Jesus's efforts. And we're given that standing at the front end. It's the only way to be made right with God. It's if God does it for us. And see, that's what Jesus points out to these crowds that don't understand this. Look at verse nine down toward the end of the passage. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. So what's he talking about here with Zacchaeus being the son of Abraham? Remember, Abraham's a central character in the Old Testament. The Israelites' lineage all goes back to Abraham. There in Genesis chapter 12, he was called the father of the Jews. So folks would have heard Jesus say that and say, well, of course he's a son of Abraham. He's Jewish. He's an Israelite, right? We're, we're all sons of Abraham. But, but no, what Jesus is teaching them is that no one is born as part of God's family. Nobody's born as part of God's family. We're, we're all born as sinful rebels, even the Israelites, even these people of God in the Old Testament. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. It tells us there that the true sons of Abraham are those who have faith in Christ. Those are the true children of God. But, but to use Jesus' language in verse 9, Salvation isn't something that starts out inside the house just because somebody's an Israelite, somebody's trying to be a good person. No, salvation has to come from outside the house. He says today salvation has come. It's given by the Lord to the one who has faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so, so that's a prerequisite for understanding the gospel. It's what these crowds didn't understand. The prerequisite is you have to understand that you're a sinner. It's what Zacchaeus does understand. You know, pe people think typically, people think it's, it's about good people coming to God. It's not. It's about a good God coming down to bad people. That's what the gospel is. And if you're here and, and you're not a Christian or you don't know what you think about Jesus, this is particularly relevant to you. You, you can't be good enough to earn God's favor, right? 
you've got a sinful record behind you, but then you've also still got a sinful heart that even today is producing sinful actions, sinful attitudes, sinful thoughts, same way it works for all of us. But see, the, the way for you to be made right with your creator is to become his child, to, to get guaranteed eternal life by trusting in Christ alone, apart from works. Just like we sang in that song, not in me. It's not because of the things we do. It's because of what Christ did, living a perfect life, going to the cross to pay for our sins. And the gospel says, if you'll believe in that alone, if you'll trust in Christ alone, you'll be forgiven. You'll be made right in God's eyes, not because of our righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness. In the words of verse six, welcome Jesus joyfully and he'll save you. And that's the gospel. And if you're here and, and you want to talk about that more, talk to me after the, after the service. Talk to one of the other pastors here. Talk to a member of, of this church. But the gospel is, is simple. But see, the crowd standing around in our story, they, they don't understand the gospel. They think a relationship with God has to be built on our own efforts. And that's probably why Jesus doesn't go over to their houses. But he goes to Zacchaeus' house. He understands he's a sinner. But, and, and this gets back to, uh, to our first point, Zacchaeus isn't okay with his sin. And that's a good description of a Christian. A Christian is the first to admit he's a sinner, but he's also the first one to hate his sin, right? Christians admit we're sinners, but we also hate our sin. And that's Zacchaeus. Look at what he says in verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. This is what the Bible calls repentance. It just means to turn from your sin. That's what Zacchaeus does. He realizes that his lifestyle, stealing money from people, doesn't fit with God. It doesn't fit with a follower of Christ. And so he's, he's declaring to the Lord that he wants to make this commitment to turn from his sin and to follow Christ. He says he's committing to give half of his possessions to the poor and to give four times as much money to the people he had stolen from. So we can see with all of this how quickly he pursues Jesus. So we, we can pause here and think about how this applies to us as Christians. In what situations does the Lord call us to pursue Jesus quickly? Like Zacchaeus does here. Well, well one way is when you realize you've sinned. Repent a good way to pursue Jesus quickly on the ground for us as Christians. Repent quickly. So when you haven't loved your spouse well and you realize that, God shows you that, repent quickly. Go to God immediately and ask his forgiveness and then go to your spouse and ask for his or her forgiveness. When you realize you've been lazy at work, repent quickly. When, when you realize that you've been harsh with your kids, repent quickly. That's a good way to pursue Jesus quickly. Another way to pursue him quickly is when it comes to temptation. Praise God, there's, there's a runway to sin. Some, sometimes it's a short runway, but there's a runway nonetheless. This is what we're told in James chapter 1, verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So there's the desire you feel to sin, and then you have the decision, I have the decision, whether to turn from it or to pursue that sin. And oftentimes, which is why we need Christ, we pursue that sin. 
But see, when, when we feel that initial desire, that's a good time to run to Jesus. So when you feel that desire to be unrighteously angry, when you feel that desire to lust, when you feel that desire to be jealous because of somebody else's stuff, run to Christ. Pray to the Lord. Ask him for help. You could turn from your temptation. Uh, go to the word, right? Read passages of scripture that are relevant to that particular sin. Call a fellow church member, right? Talk to another believer and say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling tempted in this way. Can you remind me about the good news of the gospel? Can you remind me that Christ is better than this sin that I'm pursuing? There was a, a Lutheran pastor in Germany in the 30s and 40s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he has this great quote where he says, the word of Christ in my brother is stronger than the word of Christ in myself. So you see what he's saying. You can tell yourself something, remind yourself of truth. We've got to do that. It's valuable. It's good. But oftentimes, isn't this how it works? The word of Christ in your brother or sister who's telling you the gospel, it's different, isn't it? As they preach it to you, it's, it's powerful. So call a fellow believer. These are all ways to pursue Christ quickly. Another way is when you're feeling discouraged because of, of your sin. And you're struggling to believe the gospel, that Christ's blood really is sufficient to cover your sins, that that sin has been forgiven. And so for you, run to Christ quickly by being reminded about the gospel, reading passages of scripture that make it clear as a Christian, all your sins are covered by his blood, every one of them, past, present, and future. You know, run to Christ and throw that sin under his blood. It's, it's covered there. So Zacchaeus, he pursues Jesus quickly. He runs down the road, he climbs the tree, he welcomes Jesus into his home, he commits to losing a lot of his possessions and money in order to follow Christ. And, and he doesn't need a few days to think about any of those things. He, he makes a call right away. He pulls the trigger right away. So why? Why does he do it? Why should we pursue Jesus quickly? Well, again, it's because of verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is our only hope of, of salvation. He's our only hope for getting out from under God's wrath that we deserve because of our sin. He's the only one who can save the lost, like we're told here. And so Zacchaeus goes straight after Christ. But this is where our hearts are sometimes sneaky. So we can run after Jesus for salvation. But then sometimes it's easy to take some pride in ourselves because we ran after Christ. And, and it even could, could be easy to look at this passage of Scripture and think that's what's happening. A lot of people would read this passage and think, okay, got it. So Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. He realizes he's a sinner. So Zacchaeus says, ooh, I'm not going to be a sinner anymore. I'm going to do these good things, Lord. And then on the basis of that, that's the ground. And then Jesus says, okay, based on that, you're saved. Salvation has come to this house. But see, our passage makes it clear Zacchaeus couldn't boast about his pursuit of Jesus. And we can't either. That's, that's, no, uh, that's no opportunity for boasting. We, we need to remember this. As a Christian, your pursuit of Jesus only happened because he first pursued you. So important to remember, right? Isn't there so much humility that comes with that? That instantly cuts the legs out from under your pride. The only reason you pursued Jesus is because he first pursued you. Look down again at verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Sometimes the, the way that people talk about Jesus's mission is almost like the Trinity is up in heaven and they decide to do something like putting an ad in the paper for salvation. 
where it's like, okay, we're going to publish this ad. We don't know if anybody will respond, but we might as well publish it and, and we'll see what happens. But no, that's, that's not the way this works. The son of man wasn't just sent to make salvation possible. No, the son of man was sent to seek and save the lost. He was sent to do a thing that would be effective, a job that he did, that he accomplished. Listen to John chapter six, verse 37. There Jesus says, everyone the father gives me will come to me. So you see the order there. The father gives a group of people to the son. And because of that, they will come to him. Everyone the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. So the father has given a group of folks to the son and the son came not to try and save those folks. He came to save those folks. It's certain the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus thought he was coming after Jesus, but really Jesus was coming after Zacchaeus. That's why he says today I have to come to your house. Jesus understood what was going on here. Zacchaeus thought he was going to be the initiator. He wasn't. Christ was coming after him the entire time. And, and if you're a Christian, it works the same for you. And this should be an enormously encouraging thought. At the root of it, your salvation didn't depend on you being more clever than somebody else or being more virtuous or being more humble. None of those things. You were saved because Jesus came and got you. Isn't that good? He came and he got you. And what that means is he's not going to let you go. Because if your salvation was dependent not on your strength, but on his, that means your perseverance in the faith, the road you're walking to heaven is oftentimes a difficult road in this life. That's not dependent on you either. That's dependent not on your strength, but on his strength. He's not going to let you go. In other words, the Christian can't lose his salvation. The Christian can't lose her salvation. Once Zacchaeus responds to the call of the gospel, uh, repenting of his sins and believing in Christ, look at what Jesus tells him, verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. So Jesus doesn't tell him, okay, Zacchaeus, if you can hold on to this faith, if you can hold on to me, then we'll see what happens. If you can do that, then salvation will end up coming. No, Jesus here frames it as a certainty. Zacchaeus has been given salvation. It has come. The way that Cornerstone says it in our church's statement of faith, we say a special providence, God's control over all things, a special providence watches over the Christian's welfare, and they are kept forever by the power of God. So good. What a good promise. And again, that's because the certainty of his salvation, it's not based on his own strength. It's based on Jesus's strength. It works the same with you. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian because Jesus came and got you. You'll remain a Christian because Jesus holds on to you. But should, should that lessen our desire to run after Jesus? No. In fact, it, it does the opposite. We can pursue Jesus with abandon because we know that he's holding on to us. So just like Zacchaeus does here, pursue Jesus quickly. But, but there's a, a second point. It's, it's more minor, maybe easier to miss. And that's to welcome Jesus joyfully. So pursue Jesus quickly, but also welcome Jesus joyfully. That, that first point is about our action. 
actions. The second point is more about our affections. It's about our, our heart. Look again at Zacchaeus' reaction to Jesus wanting to come to his house. Verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it's necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. Welcomed him joyfully. He's not pursuing Jesus because he's made to. It's not a burden for Zacchaeus. It's not like a hoop he has to jump through in order to get to something else. No, the thing Zacchaeus wanted to get to was Jesus. And so he welcomes him joyfully. And, and this helps explain why Zacchaeus is willing to part with his money and his possessions. Look back at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Now, it's easy to skate over these details, but actually put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes. Think about committing to doing the thing that we see Zacchaeus committing to here. Think about what it would take to, to willingly give up half of your stuff. So if you went home this afternoon and if you've got two TVs, you give away one. If you've got a fridge or a freezer out in the garage, you give one of them away. If you've got two cars, you give one of them away. If you've, if you've got four smartphones in your house, two of them, you're giving away. Half of your possessions gone, willingly. And think about then if, if you suddenly realized that at your job, you've been taking too much money from your company for the past 10 years. Let's say it was an accident. Let's say that you realize they paid you 10% too much in every paycheck for the past 10 years. So you take that 10%, you multiply it by four, and then you pay back 40% of the past 10 years paychecks. So add those two things together, half your possessions and maybe 40% of those past 10 years paychecks. You'd have to have a, a pretty compelling reason, wouldn't you, to do those things? You know why Zacchaeus does it? You know why this man who has loved money for so long that he's willing to be a cheat in life to get more money? You know why he's willing to give up his money and his possessions? It's because he found a better love. He found something that was better than money. Verse 6, so he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. And see, this is what humans are regularly doing. We're regularly stacking things against one another and deciding which of those things is more lovable, which of those things is better. And then we'll trade the lesser love to get the greater love. To use a silly example, when I met Pastor Mark at Dario for lunch this past week, I went up to the fountain. And like I would do if I was in Maine or South Carolina or Tennessee or Kentucky, I got Coke, put Coke in the cup. But then I realized that there's chill wine on the fountain. See, we're not used to that because there's not cheer wine on fountain drinks anywhere else. So what did I do? I poured out the Coke. I hope Dario's okay with that. Poured out the Coke and I filled it up with cheer wine. Easy decision. Ask me a hard one. Easy decision, right? I love Coke. I love cheer wine more. So as soon as I saw that greater love, then it was an easy decision. The lesser love is going to go. I'm going to fill it up with the greater love. Well, see, when it came to Zacchaeus's life, it, it looks like he had been convinced money and the things money could buy were the most lovely things he could get his hands on. But that's only because he hadn't met Jesus. And then he met Jesus and it didn't take long at all to realize he's better. He's better. He's better than my money. He's better than my possessions. And see, that's true for all of us. Jesus will fill a heart with more joy than money. He just will. Ha having your sins forgiven by Christ and following him and having his spirit indwell you 
That'll bring more joy than a big house. It'll bring, it'll bring more joy than a, than a rising 401k. It, it'll be, bring more joy than, than anything that you can buy. It'll bring more joy than, than things other than possessions. Jesus is, is more lovely. He'll bring you more joy than your spouse and your children. He'll bring you more joy than human relationships. He'll bring you more joy than your hobbies or, or your career. Jesus is a better love than all those things. And that's why those things can never completely satisfy. And if you've lived the human life long enough, you've realized this. So you'll get something, maybe a possession, maybe a new car. It's great for a little bit, but then the shine kind of wears off. You get used to it, right? So Christmas and birthdays for our kids, there has not been one yet where the kids have said, you know what? We got so much good stuff last year. We're all set. You, you guys don't need to go shopping. There's never been a birthday where they've said, you know what? We've had, we've had six, seven, eight, nine, ten of these now. We're good. It doesn't happen. Humans don't work that way. Right? Those, those things, the shine wears off, and all of a sudden it doesn't satisfy any longer. It's kind of like salt water. You know, you hear stories about people that get stranded in the ocean and they're so thirsty. And so they drink salt water. It seems like it'll satisfy them. What's it do? It makes them thirstier. That's, that's what the things of this world will do if we put our hope in them. They'll never fully satisfy. It was a Christian in the fourth century. His name was St. Augustine. You may have heard that name before. That's what he says. He prays his prayer. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And that's been your experience if you think about it. It's been my experience. Having joy in Christ, it's, it's the only thing that will really fulfill us. And that's a good test for the Christian life. Reading your Bible and going to church and praying and loving people well, those are all necessary fruits of the Christian life. But at its heart, at its foundation, the Christian life is about loving Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? The, the Christian is the one who receives him joyfully. So was that you? You find joy in Christ, even though you can find flaws with aspects of every other part of your life, right? With your car or your work situation or, or your church. Are you convinced that there are no flaws in Christ? Do you find joy in him? Now, now, if you're like me, then you find joy in Christ, but you know you should find more joy in Christ. So what do we do about that? Right? Is this so? Is, is this time where we wrap up and is it just that we feel bad? Oh, I wish I could find more joy in Christ, but I don't. So I'll just feel bad and, and we'll leave and we'll just all feel bad. Well, no, scripture, scripture gives us some remedies here. So, so what should we do? We want to be like Zacchaeus. We want to be willing to give up the things of this world in, in order to pursue Christ, to find more joy in Him. We oftentimes split our affections though. So, what should we do? Well, I think the best thing we can do is to be reminded of Jesus's beauty and goodness. I think that's the best thing to do. Be reminded of Jesus's beauty and goodness. I love food courts. It's kind of an odd thing about me. All my friends make fun of me. I love a good food court. And one thing that I love is when I walk up to that Chinese restaurant in the food court and they give me a sample and they think that they have to convince me to get their food. And I'm happy for them to think that. There's no convincing that has to take place. I'm going to get that Chinese food at the food court, but they don't know that. So they give me the sample. And the idea that they're thinking is, okay, I'm going to let him see how good this food is. And it is so good. I'm going to let him see how good this food is. 
and then he'll he'll come right he'll see that he'll be he'll be satisfied that's the that's the kind of thing that that we need to do we need to experience christ and the more we experience him the more we'll put our hope and joy in him the more we'll see that he's he's worthy of our pursuit of him so that's the thing we need to do is put ourselves around jesus that's how we'll grow in our joy in him put ourselves around him read the gospel stories about jesus See the way he interacts with people, the way he loves people, in particular, his going to the cross to sacrifice himself on our behalf. Read the rest of the Bible to, to see how his person and work can provide salvation for us. We've actually got some free copies of a book called Gentle and Lowly. I think some of you guys have read that book or at least have it. It's on the desk at the Welcome Center right outside here. Grab Those were free. Crossway, the distributor, just sent them to us. So grab one of those books. That entire book, all it's about is looking at what scripture says about Jesus and why he's so good. In particular, that he's gentle and lowly, that he loves us so well, that he pursues us so well. So put yourself around Jesus by way of his word. Put, put yourself around his body, which is the local church. Put yourself around other believers. Gather on the Lord's day like we're doing here this morning. Communicate with fellow believers throughout the week and talk about Jesus and the gospel. Talk about how good Christ is. It's easy to talk about other things. Talk about those things too, but talk about Christ, how good he is. The, the way to grow in our second point is by heeding the first point. You'll welcome Jesus more joyfully the more you pursue Jesus. But see, as, as, as we close this morning with looking at this passage of scripture, the most amazing thing about our passage isn't Zacchaeus' pursuit of Jesus, although that's something. But the most amazing part about our passage is Jesus' pursuit of him. And it works the same way with us. You know, if you're here and you're a Christian, the fact that your eyes were opened and your heart was softened to come after Christ, that's a miracle, a supernatural thing. But what's far more astounding is that the second person of the Trinity left heaven, eternal, perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit. He left that to come here to a world broken by sin, to a humble life that was full of suffering, and to give his life on the cross to end up dying not for righteous people for for sinners and why did he do it verse 10 for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost well that's a savior worth pursuing and a savior worth finding joy in pray together father we're so thankful for our good savior we're so thankful that he came not to try and save people. He came to save people. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. As Christians, Father, we can, uh, we can testify to that. We pursued Jesus. We became like Zacchaeus in this story, going after Christ, only because he first came after us. We're so thankful for a Savior that is so loving and gracious and merciful and powerful, Father, that he will hold on to us, that for us as Christians, if, if we have really trusted in Christ alone to pay for our sins, the moment that we first trusted in that, salvation came to our house. Salvation came to us. Father, we're so thankful for the good news of the gospel, and we pray that as we reflect on it more and more as the body of Christ, that we would pursue Jesus more quickly and Father, that we would welcome him more joyfully for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen.